Welcome to Weapon of Choice, a podcast where creatives across mediums give us insight into the weaponry of their art. Each episode, you'll be hearing an interview with an artist who uses their art as a weapon of choice for social change and disruption, visibility and justice, cultural critique and resistance, among other things that ignite social consciousness and community action. These artists will tell us about their journeys toward the battles they are fighting, how they design, sharpen, and develop their artistic weaponry to strike a blow against injustice in the world. I'm Tommy Franklin. And I'm Andrew Benda. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 10, our season finale. We made it. We made it through our first season. It's been a few months, and uh, here we are. We've enjoyed this journey. That's right. I can't believe we're here. Yeah, I mean, anyone out there who's trying to start something, and I'm not saying just a podcast, um, a lesson we learned is just start. If you believe in yourself and you've got a few people in your corner who believe in you and you believe in your talent, and the same goes for the people in your corner, they believe in your talent as well, you can get some things that you might not even imagine you can get done by just beginning and if you give up even for a second, begin again. That's 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 what we learned. Part of what we learned is we want to make a few projects in 2017. We didn't imagine it being a podcast. We just imagined it being another film, our third film of the year. But we made two, and we made this podcast, and we are we covet the work we've done and the fact that we've had an audience who appreciates our show. So thank you to everyone who's listening. How are you feeling about this being a season finale, Andrew? I couldn't see it going any other way. Tommy, this is the season finale, but is it over? Hell no. You just wait till what we're going to bring you in 2018. And we need as many of y'all along for the ride as possible. And one of the ways you can be in our corner and have our back is join the listeners who have already contributed to our show by being monthly members of the show. They've given their dollars to our show so we can continue to produce it, Andrew and I. And we can make sure that we have an opportunity to expand our reach in terms of marketing, in terms of uh, booking guests and ways of going about making this show better and better as we continue this journey. So if you want to contribute, you can always join that community of listeners who are donating by going to our Patreon. And that's www.patreon.com forward slash weapon of choice podcast. That's www.patreon.com forward slash weapon of choice podcast. And thank you, thank you, thank you for everyone who's chipped in. And we hope that you can join and chip in as well if you have it. Thank you. Well, yeah. Um, so we're going to get into this awesome episode. We've got an amazing guest for you to hear from. And uh, just remember to stay engaged with us. We're going to take a month off. We'll be back in 2018, but we will be on social media. So don't forget to hit us up and uh, keep an eye on what's going on on social media. We've got our Instagram. That's at Weapon of Choice Podcast. Same for Facebook at Weapon of Choice Podcast. And if you're on Twitter as well, at Weapon Choice Pod, you can follow us there. Um, We'd love to hear your feedback as always or even any questions. You can hit us up at Weapon of Choice Fans at gmail.com. All right, Andrew, what we got today? 
Our guest this episode is Sarah White, who is a creative force. Sarah is a nationally recognized singer and songwriter, a photographer, and a healer who works in her community to engage artists and activists in powerful manifestations of identity, spirituality, and creative growth. Sarah has independently released two solo albums. Her neon soul sound blends sultry electro and Afrofuturism. And guess what? You can catch some of Sarah's work beginning today, December 19th, today. Tuesday, December 19th at 5 p.m. And it's featured in Hennepin Theater Trust Energy Made Here launch at the Art Gallery at La Meridian Chambers Minneapolis Hotel. So get on down to that, y'all. We are thrilled to present our interview with the amazing, the insightful, the one and the only, Sarah White. And is this me? Yeah, it's here. so much. There's a little bit of like raw honey <coughs> and ginger. Oh, that's perfect. And then like a heart opening chakra, so if you guys get emotional later. Perfect. <laughs> you've, been, you've officially been to my house. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. So we are in my house. Um, I have an upstairs sunroom that is really special to me. It's like my most sacred space in the house. And it's a room where I practice yoga and I meditate. It's where I create my music. It's where I edit my photos. It's where I write. Um, it's where I sip tea. It's where I cry. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like the one place I carved out for myself in this house and in the world. That's just mine. And yeah, it has windows everywhere. Like there's like eight, nine windows. And I have my feminist banner with Angela Davis and Asada on there. And just all my favorite things in here so I'm glad you guys came up to my space. Hi I'm Sarah White and I'm a singer and a photographer and a DJ and a healer of sorts and I work in the community. All right Sarah White thank you for joining us on Weapon of Choice. Thanks for having me. So you're quite busy and we're definitely honored to have you on the show and you're such a multifaceted artist you write you sing you photograph you heal you teach you model, you DJ, you organize. Oh, wait, and you're a mother. What lessons have you learned about balance? Oh, yeah. So that's something that I'm working on right now, trying to figure out what balance looks like. Um, I struggle a lot with balance. I learned that if I'm not living within balance, I lose my grounding and my earth and my footing and that could be detrimental to spinning all the wheels that I spin. So um, I've learned that I need ritual to create balance in my life right now. What has ritual looked like for you? Um, for me, ritual right now is being with community. So like cooking, um, even like hands-on work, sound, yoga, but also for my own personal ritual right now, I spend a lot of time burning things like burning copal palo santo um sage just having that time by myself to recheck in with things make tea make curry why have you made these your weapons of choice and what battles are you fighting um i feel like i haven't really had a choice when it comes to using my craft as a weapon um even when i first started rapping 
you know, my first band, Traditional Methods, it was all about changing the system and fighting for equality and justice because I feel like that is something that needs to be addressed immediately within our system and within our community, within our circles. So I'll use any part of myself, um, whether it's my photography, um, my music, my neck for like cooking or healing, um, or even just to bring community together to use it as a weapon against the, the forces that are pushing against us. Um, like the walls of things that are trying to hold us back from moving forward. And I deal with those every day, um, some days more than others, where I doubt my intuition and I doubt the power that I know is in me um, because of the way the system is set up and the ways that I can't flourish or be abundant within that system. Yeah, and there's systems, many actually, that oppress women. There's systems that oppress uh, black and brown folks, indigenous folks. There's the systems, those, some of those same systems oppress black women. So, like, you're a black woman. Have there been conversations you've had with friends, um, people in community, or even with yourself around, like, has there been ever struggles around, you know, centering one before the other in certain situations? Like, I have to show up more as a, as a woman in this situation or more as a black person. Obviously, yeah. you show up with both at the same time, but have you thought about, like, Every day. Hanging your hat in certain ways. Every single day. I mean, the amount of microaggressions I deal with on the daily, I have to sit with myself and check how I'm going to react. Am I going to react as a single mother? Am I going to react as a leader, as a community figure? Am I going to react as a woman? You know, like, every single day there's an opportunity for me to decide how to react to um, aggressions, you know, and supremacy and just oppression. So... It's interesting because this year I've had a lot of it in my face. So I've been really having to decide. Like at one point I had a situation that I don't want to get all the way into. But, you know, I was directly um, discriminated against and in a situation where I couldn't leave. And I first tried to internalize it. I thought that, like, I'm strong enough. I'm a black woman. I could do whatever. Like, I got this. I'm not going to let this, like, wall break me down. But by internalizing it. I got sick. I started getting hives like mm-hmm. every day. Like I was getting physical manifestations of swallowing trauma. And I realized that I finally had hit a place where now that I had done the work to understand what my trauma was and what triggered me, that I couldn't swallow it in the same way I was trained to as a black woman anymore because it would get me sick. Hmm. For real. Yeah, for real. <laughs> So yeah, I've been doing a lot of work around um, studying trauma and neuroplasticity and um, working towards emotional liberation and figuring out how us as a community and as a collective being can let go of some of the trauma that was passed on through our mothers and their mothers, you know, because our eggs are in your grandmother's womb as your mom is in there as a child. So all of that is getting passed through. And it's just something we think we're born with and this is the way we are, but really you're being triggered by things that have happened for generations and generations. So that's kind of something I've been working on right now, but because I'm doing that work, more trauma is coming up every day. Does that sound crazy? 
And do you have to? Not at all. No. Do you have to? And when you're tasked with more work internal, where is where it begins? Do you go outside of um, the internal battle? Do you find community to bring them into when it's a new type of trauma? In some cases, I'm playing with it right now. Like yesterday, I went and got a Mayan womb massage, which like literally directly brings up stuff. It's like they go deep into you. And I knew it was going to be intense, so I cooked curry for four hours and I invited community over. And just being able to like share a gift with mm. other people like helped me to process all of the stuff that came up in my body. So I'm starting to kind of like be able to articulate and find tools that I can use when things are traumatic. And then I'm getting like deeper and deeper and deeper into like the trauma work. Mm. And I'm doing some of it in my dreams, you know, where I can like consciously go in and like sit with something that normally I would run from. Mm. Yeah, that helps. So you can, you know, you can you, you, you find ways to consciously use your dreams as therapy. Exactly. Mm. Well, and I think in the end, that's the revolution. If we can like get out of our heads enough to like see each other's power and know how to like really as people rise up above like this pattern that we're in then i think that it's just an opportunity so i i don't know the answer but i'm just i'm in it you know playing with it mm-hmm. you know i want to touch on the music for a little bit um how is how has making music been your therapy especially in this era we're in um i feel like music is something that for me if it's on, it's just like a channel from like, it just feels like light, you know, it feels good. So it's definitely a release and a reminder of who I am, but also like music is something you can share with other people as a product. Mm -hmm. And I love just to, just to hear the ways that we can uplift each other through our music. Um, especially when you stay authentic with it, but sometimes when you get trapped with it, you know, like, it's like, we need all the music, we need all the feels and, um, I really feel blessed to be able to have music as one of my tools and one of my weapons um, because I'm pretty um, directly trying to talk about what's going on. And that's my way to get it out without having to get up on a stage in politics. I can use the mic um, and DJing. I love making people dance and lose themselves. So both of those have been like a really active tool that I feel like I have control over, which I like. And expressing black pride, um, black femininity, black love through your music and art and photos and fashion. What about that do you see as revolutionary? Man, like growing up as a black woman in Minneapolis, especially one that spoke Japanese and like skateboarding and, you know, was into anime. I didn't fit in anywhere. I didn't think the black woman was beautiful or relevant, you know, and I grew up with a mom who started relaxing my hair when I was like, too young to have a choice and kind of was pushed into thinking a black woman needed to be a certain thing mm-hmm. and that I wasn't enough just as who I was. And then when I moved to Bed-Stuy and I saw black in its brilliance and unapologetic, I moved back here like with no, there's no turning back. Like all my work now is going to be expressing how beautiful we are as black people, but black women specifically, you know, like the queens and um, or people who identify as women. 
I mean, anybody who's brown in general needs to have some pride and power. But like for me specifically, the black woman's body is important to me because I'm raising two of them. And they're already showing signs of doubt in their brilliance just based off of the pushback they get from community and um, media. So mm. I'm fighting for it over here. <laughs> mm. And I do it by creating a sanctuary for them to live in. And, you know, I just, I'm staying authentically myself in front of them. Even if that means my nipples are showing or like I got a pick in my hair when I drop them off at school. Like I'm not changing anything because I'm a mom, I'm just being myself. And I think. I'm watching them take pride in that, you know. You've, have you found yourself being challenged from other parents? Of course. Even the ones that you consider close friends? Yeah, you know, the looks I get walking up to pick up my kids from school in a crop top, you know, like, for sure. I even got called up by my mom. Mom, I hope you're not listening to this. Don't listen. Turn it off. Uh -uh. Um, we were on, uh, she went on my Instagram, and I was just at Afropunk. And in Afropunk, like, we don't wear a lot of clothes. This is just a normal <laughs> thing. Like, I wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary. I was dressed more than most people were dressed. And I posted a picture of, like, a net shirt on. And my mom called it topless. And she said, you know, in, in the time of Me Too, do you really think, as a mother, you should be putting out this message for your daughters that nudity is okay when you're actually asking for men to touch you and look at you because of the way you're dressed? And I had to like deep sigh for like 10 minutes before I replied because I was just like, number one, you're blocked from my Instagram. Number two, <laughs> like don't, you're, you're like putting these oppressions on your own black daughter based off of the way that you perceive yourself in society. And we are allowed to dress as sexy and as wild as we want without welcoming in unwanted touch or words, you know? And I said, my daughters are going to know that their mother is a good mother, regardless of what you think about the way I dress. Mm -hmm. It's not changing who I am. It's not changing right. what I do. And there's nothing wrong with nipples. Like, I just can't. I don't get it, you know. So, yeah, anyways, I get a lot of pushback. And then you were at Afro Punk, where, but your mother almost forced you to wear, first and foremost, that woman hat. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, so, you know. It's 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 interesting because I even think about the ways I talk to my kids, you know, like I talk to them pretty much like they're adults, but sometimes it's like what I say goes. Mm -hmm. And I think about the ways that we dismiss each other, you know, because of age sometimes where For sure. they say some things that are more prolific than I would ever think of all the time. Like my youngest, we have this thing where we talk about when we're nervous, what should we do? And she's like, plant your feet, engage your core and speak your truth, you know, and it's like it's that simple. Sometimes it's that simple just to like know what you feel and what you think is is authentic and it's real. And sometimes I feel like I don't listen to them because they're my kids. But then when they leave, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I'm doing mm. the thing that parents do mm. where they like check you and put you in a box because they think they know, you know. How do you balance protecting them and exposing your kids to truth? I, th I try to just like, I guess for me, food is a big part of everything. Like when we come together and cook, it's like we can just be authentic together. They know it's the bomb. They're like, man, all of our friends want to come over and eat. You know, like our lunches are <laughs> organic. They're locally grown. Like they know that I love them more than anything by the ways that I prepare things for them. Mm. And 
they know how special it is. Like I get Mother's Day cards that are like, thank you for feeding us whole foods and not processed foods and chemicals, you know, like, and I feel like that is part of the balance, just letting them know, like in the end, all that matters is this, but you're going to come with me to the protest and see what's going on. You're going to know about Philando Castile. You're going to know about Jamar Clark. You're going to know that if cops are there, I don't necessarily think you should go to them if you're in trouble um, unless you feel like there's no other option because I can't tell you it's safe. You know, like I'm just honest with them, but also I'll fill them up with my love to mm -hmm. combat the ugliness of the world. Yeah, if you were giving them Laffy Taffy's, they wouldn't be writing you those Mother's Day cards. No. Right? <laughs> and I'm not hating on Laffy Taffy's. Right, just we're not. not my no, babies, no. not my babies. That's all. How has being a mother made you all the more creative? You have to be creative to be a mother. I'll say that. Like Every mother's an artist? I think mothering is an art. Mm -hmm. Mothering and not failing is an art because you're going to fail every day and you have to get back up and keep doing it. Um, for me, it's made me better as an artist because I feel like as they grow, I'm watching me craft them into the humans they're going to be, which I think is like my biggest art. It's like my most beautiful masterpiece sometimes because they're brilliant and they're powerful and they're inspiring. But they also support me. Like they think it's cool that I'm a DJ and a singer. They think it's kind of geeky and annoying that I'm still out on the scene but you know like i'm like well this is how i pay the rent y'all you know <laughs> <laughs> sorry that your friends saw me out you know whatever <laughs> but like yeah i think it's it's helped me to um push really hard you know before i had my kids i was just a rapper i was not doing all the things i'm doing now now hmm. i'm like i feel like i have to do it like my life depends on it because motherhood is trying to drag me down at all points in times you know you planted these human seeds and then you also ended up planting more seeds and yeah, all, the all these other fields of art. All the seeds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, to be honest, like, you know, it's just so unpredictable, you know, having kids. It's like, I can decide one night I'm going to write and then my daughter's up with a fever all night and it's just like, that's just life. So I've, I find more ways to kind of slide around it and make it work. Mm. Something I kind of wanted to go back to, um, you said right now you're exploring like the generational traumas. Um, what pieces right now are you working on specifically? For me right now, I'm working a lot on heart because I feel like I've been watching in the patterns of relationships, um, the ways that maybe I'm not fighting hard enough for my own ultimate limitless love. Mm ways that I settle and then I started to see patterns with my mom patterns and even the ways that I was brought into the world and yeah I don't know I've been really looking at that in in brown and indigenous bodies like how we love you know like can we love from a place that is not selfless and can we also like put in um, really like vulnerable love into other people and find a balance with it. So for me, I'm as I start experimenting with that after getting out of a really long relationship, I feel like some shit that happened in ninth grade comes up. Or like, mm. you know, like little things just keep yeah. coming up where I'm like, damn, the first time I had sex, I basically was raped. So like those kind of things come up as you're like trying to date and have sex. And you find ways to like 
push it away for a long time. Yeah. But then sometimes it'll come up when somebody like doesn't call you back right away or like something happens and then you're like, oh shit. So like, I don't know, I'm just trying to like figure out what what has happened in my lifespan. Maybe what has happened in my mom's lifespan. Maybe what's happened in my grandma's lifespan or something that seems to be pretty consistent with all of us women in all the lifespans. Yeah. And kind of like what we can do to like deal with each one, whether it be through like meditation or just fucking talking about it or... I've been getting together with a bunch of my women friends and just talking about the kind of stuff. And then I just shot that project on um, survivors of domestic abuse. And like lots of them are people I know that just didn't talk about it. So I feel like just being seen and talking is like a big part of healing from the trauma. Mm. Like it's been pretty amazing to already hear the ways that um, people have felt by seeing themselves up on the street and like feeling like somebody wanted to listen to what had happened to them. That's pretty like powerful. And now I feel like my job is even more important. So now I'm over here like trying to write a book or, you know, make it into another project. Mm. But you... if, okay. I was just gonna say, if it's like as simple as being seen, mm. then it's like, that's doable, really. And like in my 250 hour training in um, community coaching and healing justice, in the end of it, we learned all we need to do is be there to hold space and hold a mirror up to somebody else to see their own brilliance. It really isn't like a healer's job to heal. A healer's job is just to show another that they already have the same power in them. You know, it's like literally in all of us, but because of all the ways we've been restricted and hurt and punished we can't always remember it and so yeah i'm trying to figure out how to do that wider scale and maybe through music through photography like i want to make a bigger impact when it comes to actually like resonating in that part in your body that was a really long answer mm, i loved it okay <laughs> no i think i think there's some uh there's clearly stuff on your horizon where you're going to be creating a lot of more projects where that whole being seen aspect is gonna it's totally just gonna like, have a wide reach and i didn't know that like i honestly wanted to make a really fun album and like sexy fun black music and go tour and like do something more lighthearted. and then i did that coaching program and something told me like don't do it it's gonna change everything but and then i found that our bodies were the curriculum for coaching through getting through trauma and then now all the work that comes to me is around trauma. Like, I'm not going out and looking for any of these jobs. People are just like, we need somebody. This is for you. You should do this. And even like the thing that we were talking about, like, I don't know, just a lot of things are coming my way. So I feel like this is what I'm here for. It's what I'm going to do. And I'm not afraid to say anything. Like, I'm not afraid of cops. I'm not afraid of the government. Like, I think I'm a good person to take it on. But it's also like, you know... I got to do it slowly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess one thing I like about not being afraid to say anything is I'm almost like tricking myself into never trying to get a regular job. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't have It's a like a weird job. motivation to keep making art. Like, yeah. Like just, yeah. Um, and I, I'm, sometimes I'm broke because of it, you know, but I haven't <laughs> had a regular job in four years. I might not know how I'm going to pay my rent each month, but... I can say whatever I want and dress however I want every day because it's like only it's my work, you know. Mm -hmm. Exploring your own journey through with motherhood, you know what what has been that connection then to your own mother, and like 
how has that changed that relationship and how is that relationship how have you processed that relationship through your art i definitely appreciate my mom a lot more now like i was a really i was a good kid but like really hard-headed really independent i ran away when i was 16 and didn't really look back and i now think about her not sleeping every night you know just like wondering where i was and so worried and all i could think about is me versus the world you know like and once i got pregnant with my first child i was pretty young and like i'd only known their dad for three weeks and my mom was just kind of giving me the look like what are you doing but then she just like put all the bs aside and stood by me you know and it was the first time I realized, like, man, we got each other's back, even if we feel really differently about things, you know? And then I entered into it not really knowing what it meant to be a mother, even though I had a mother. I knew I was very different than her. And at first, I think I did try to be a mother like she was, you know? Like, I, like, stopped doing my art for a while. And, I mean, no disrespect to the way my mother mothered at all, but I realized I needed to create my own idea of what a mom was. And I'm still figuring that out because, you know, like my my oldest is 13 and I'm watching myself say things like, you know, if all your friends jump off a cliff, are you going to jump off too? Or just things where I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm like, why did I say that? But like, you know, I think that it's been such a gift, like, I gave birth to both of my kids naturally, which was a blessing, and just saw how much more powerful I was through each experience. And even now, the fact that I could hold down a crib as a single mom and be an artist, like, I know I'm teaching them about motherhood a different way. Yeah. You know, and every way is their own way, and they'll probably mother differently, but it's pretty fluidly flowing in between my art and my life. There's not really a break because it's all just me, you know? Yeah. So I'm just learning how to move with it, but also really appreciate what my mom has done. I call her a lot to thank her mm. for little things that she still does for me, you know, that we take for, we take for granted. Is there, is there one recently that you can think of? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I couldn't afford to get like winter stuff because I was like grinding and my mom heard it in the tone of my voice and she like never hears me break. I've always just been like, I got this. I can take care of everything. And like my voice broke a little bit and she showed up the next day with like winter coats and all the things. And I didn't want to take them, but I knew she just, she just gave me the look like I see what's up, like I got you. And it overwhelmed me at first, but then I was like, man, like gratitude that I can even have, like normally I would be too hard to take it be like nah but it just felt good to be at a place where I could accept and yeah. I called her the next day and I just told her thank you you know and I think there's been plenty of times she's done stuff like that that I haven't said thank you that it's like she brings stuff over for the kids it's just what the grandma does but I'm like man like you're sacrificing still for me and I'm in my 30s you know like I'm grown and the mother is still holding that same space so yeah I think it's interesting to think i think everybody should go call their moms if they're around and if they're not in the physical realm you know take a second to light a candle and just put some respect up because it's a hard job you talked about looking back even thinking about your grandmother your mother what what's that power of that maternal line man there's a couple ways i can answer this and i'm not sure how far i want to go with this 
But I'm just going to say, I think that there is, there's something about the womb. Okay, we'll just start with the womb because I was going to go lower than the belt. But like, it's life, you know, right? And if you can reconnect with that, it's even just like, even with like intimacy, like everybody's trying to reconnect with that. And I think that figuring out how to like channel that energy is number one, but also like how to find that energy in every day where there's just a place where you just feel that vibrancy. Mm. And I think like, and this is hard because I think there's so many different identifying bodies. I don't want to, um, I don't want to make it seem like bodies that identify as mine are more powerful. Cause that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying for me personally and my understanding about my body and my life, like my womb and like all of that is like a center for me. And I think it's different for everybody. Everybody has to find their center. So it's really hard for me to speak on like how that goes with the world because I think that everybody has that same center. But that is something I know even without meeting my grandmother who was dead before I was born is our connection. Mm. And I have heard her recently in my dream and I've never heard her voice. I've never even seen her face. But I just knew, you know. And so it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I put the focus back inward again and then it's hard to answer because I don't really know, you know, but mm. yeah, I think it's big. When you Sometimes when you start to explore inward, do you ever get lost? Do you ever find yourself in the deep end? Yeah, I'm kind of there now. <laughs> I've been kind of doing a little too much work, I think, where I'm like, am I making good decisions? Am I only thinking from like my intuition and not thinking logically? Um I struggle with that a lot because I'm already an Aquarius and an artist and really like just see how things feel sometimes. Like I can know what somebody's going to say sometimes before they say it. Like I'm in that world a lot, but like I still got to get stuff done and like, you know, stay on track. And I feel like I get swept off track very easily, but on the outside, it looks like I'm on track. Like everybody always thinks I have my shit together. And everybody always thinks that, like, they can come to me when they need support. But, like, I don't really know if my shit is any more together than anybody else's. Because it honestly is not. Yeah. When you're lost, where does your art take you? My art stops oftentimes when I'm lost. I haven't finished, like, a song in a minute, you know? How are you feeling about that? It's stressful because I'm an artist and I need to produce art, but I also am trying to be patient. I can't rush it. And I feel like when it comes out right, it's going to be right. Um, that's a daily struggle. I yell at myself a lot for not producing enough. But then I look at like my art up on walls and things and I'm like, Sarah, you know, like, don't be ridiculous. Like you're doing art every day, just not as much as you feel like you should be doing to help heal the world and make a statement, you know, that's big enough and trying to be patient and take care of myself, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you think that being vulnerable and sharing um, our personal struggles does something to combat the way society judges black people and women and mothers? I feel like it's a double-edged sword because I think right now it's really, um, irresistible and almost exoticized to be black and to be able to express your trauma and your triggers and, um, you know, just kind of like 
the oppression that you're living within. I feel like I'm watching people in community right now use me to speak on a panel about it because it makes them feel like they're doing something when they're not actually doing anything to change anything. And it's starting to become a pattern. And it's even nonprofits are using that same model. I think that's scary, you know? And I think that it's really important to be vulnerable, but we're not being compensated by our vulnerability, you know? And that's something that you're putting out of your spirit for people. But like, you're not walking away with anything from it. And I can't tell you how many emails I get a week with people asking me to volunteer and speak on a panel about like what it feels like to be me. And I'm like, yo, I'm trying to pay my rent and bills just like everybody else. And I think I've used that muscle as much as I feel like using it, at least in white communities. Mm. In black communities, yeah, I want us all to rise up, but I'm like, I, I can't really be that spokesperson for black women, single mother artist pain anymore, you know, unless you got fat checks to take some of the stress off my day to day life. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, isn't everyone just covering up their pain? Like, why do we pretend we're so strong when we're so fragile? Why do you think? I mean, think about the the day we live in right now, you know, it's like, social media has changed the ways that we connect as human beings you know even with dating like you used to go to the bar you have a beer and now it's like you can sit in front of your computer looking crazy it doesn't matter because you got your bumble app or whatever and you look fly on that and it's like everything <laughs> for real and then everything like you know if i post super sad stuff on social media people don't book me if I post a photo of me looking fly, even though I'm really crying listening to Moses Sumney, hey. somebody will email me and be like, hey, we're thinking about this party you want, DJ? Like, <laughs> it's this weird world where you gotta look like all is cool because of the ways that we've set up marketing yourself. And so I try to break that. I go back and forth. Like, I, I, I just dress this way anyways, you know? So I'll just do a quick little picture. Like, what up? I'm still alive. Book me for something. Remember me. But I'm also like, you know, I'm tragic. I do poems on Facebook about my heart breaking open and like, I don't have a filter, you know, but I do think that it makes sense to look like you're all right. Cause then you seem like you're all right. But in the end, that's not really helping anybody. Mm -hmm. But how do you fix that? How do you still stay relevant and get work and, you know, look approachable, like not be too like an angry, angry black person or angry, you know, Artists, I don't know. That's a good question. I have this like dream of this really radical world where like, yeah, I think a lot about love right now. I think it's just like a part of my life right now, but where there is a thing such as radical love where no one has to like sacrifice anything, um, any part of themselves that takes away from their full self, right? And I feel like if we could do that out in the world with each other as friends too, like not have to put up a fake funk about anything, but also not put our weight on people, right? Like hold a common space. Mm -hmm. Then I think that would kind of like go out into the ways that we work with each other. Like if we know an organization is gonna take advantage of somebody else, even if they are a competition, like if I know a certain nonprofit is gonna tokenize another black woman because I say no to the gig. Like, 
in my perfect beautiful world i'm like no don't worry i got you i got some other work let's let's stop mm -hmm. supporting these systems that aren't feeding us you know mm. but i think it starts with each of us and that's a lot of work you know but slow <laughs> slow but steady yeah i mean and sure you write some tragic poetry you also write some amazing uplifting and beautiful poetry so in terms of writing when you're when you're writing do you ever find yourself having conversations that you long for in otherwise spaces or in relationships other than with yourself and audiences totally and i just realized that because i i don't even overthink it like if i write a poem on facebook i just write it on the spot i don't even go back and like i'm just like i'm just gonna write what words come out and they come out like water when i do that and I don't do it very often, but when I do, I'm like, this is something that I'm not getting to say in everyday life right now. And I don't need anybody to understand me or to read it or to hear me. It's just for me. And that's when I feel like it's the most authentic. And sometimes I look back and I'm like, dang, Sarah, like you just went off, you know? But I'm like, I have a, a like no delete policy really when it comes to like my art. And Sometimes I'll like do something where I'll shoot something really racy and then the next day I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's good. And I'm like, actually, nah, that's where I was that night. Like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. And it feels good just to like get it out from my, my heart. And yeah, I, I think it's interesting and romantic and I'm honored that people even think it's uplifting because it's just like thoughts that are in my head. So it always like, inspires me that other people can listen and like get something from it like all my art i kind of make selfishly for myself even though i know it heals other people i'm like trying to get to the root of my own stuff you know mm -hmm. so how does that work into what you're just saying of this idea of radical love or this this world of radical love that you envision like how do you connect to those see i'm still making this world up you know yeah. like this is something that like has kind of came to me in the last like two months but I think this world of radical love is also balanced out with self-love, right? Mm -hmm. So like if you have feelings and thoughts that need to come out and you hold them in, then it's like you're damaging yourself. You know, it's the same as like if you drink too much and try to hold that in. You know, it's like literally the same thing. Like the thoughts that you have in your brain, if they're toxic, yeah. are poisoning you, you know? And it's like, I don't know. I just think that we live with so many negative thoughts against ourselves so much like negative self-talk every day that like if we could find a way to you know push that out then we actually can start to work on that radical love overall I just think I just like the word radical it feels like something unheard of I don't even know what it is it's just yeah. bigger than this bigger than what we're doing right now because i just think what we're doing right now is half-assed in so many ways i mean a lot of people stop at the word progressive and don't progress to the word radical right yeah. well and i'm like yo what are we doing you know like really i'm tired of like hashtagging and talking about things like i'm really trying to do it even if it's me by myself like i'm gonna put the work in so then i can help encourage other people to put the work in and mine might be messy. You might see me out acting crazy because I'm exhausted from doing the work. Or I might just like, you know, run away and isolate for a while. But like, I'm trying to really do the work. And there's just a special way of <clears throat> whether we see it. Sometimes we all cover it up and we have this social media veil. <clears throat> for you, when you're exhausted, 
Um, I mean, no one, no one in this conversation perhaps ever can really truly understand when you're most exhausted. Hmm. But even when you're most exhausted, even when you're most exhausted, you never give up. No. So like, there's just that never giving up while you're at your peak almost of exhaustion. Like, talk about that, dude. Okay. I didn't even know I could get as exhausted as I've gotten this year. I think like the orange man coming in the office and like I got like pressed from every single angle and my heart and my money and my living in situation. And like I literally thought I might break for the first time when I really believed in the black woman doesn't break thing. Like I really, truly thought that was a thing. And then, yeah, this year I thought I was really going to break. And then I realized that I was magic and I couldn't break. Like, I really realized it. I was like, wait, shoot. The fact that you're not breaking and you know you're not really going to break means that you're magic. And like, you know, I feel like everything I say sounds so fairy-like right now. But I mean, for real, I just I just realized that like, I'm not going down like that. I'm not. If I'm not going down from like, stuff going on in these streets, then I'm not going to go down from some you know, microaggressions yeah. or some love or anything else. A fall down the stairs might kill you, but you're definitely not going to give up. <laughs> yeah, that was rough. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. I may have fell down a flight of stairs. May or may not have. It was rough. May have gotten a lot of bruises. <laughs> Post-traumatic stress syndrome. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's it gets hard, you know, like when you're exhausted and yeah, I don't really know how I make it through it, but I just know I'm going to because I have to. And maybe my daughters are part of that, too. Mm. I'm not ready to leave them out here until I can show them as much as I can. And if the myth that black women don't break is true, great. But at the same time, it's unfortunate that that is a thing like like you get almost like lauded for being so strong well and that's what's messed up and i don't even like the fact that i said that i figured out i was magic because it's like nah but i still break you know yep. like i'm I, by breaking open i become new you know and like stronger but like that's not some shit i want to hear if i'm going through some shit i don't want anybody to say it's gonna make me stronger you know like don't i don't need that weight on me you know but mm. i do feel like i'm stronger than i was before this summer happened so I don't know the answer, but I do know that we are allowed to break and we shouldn't have to hold on to the world's issues on our shoulders as we have been. I think that we need other people to step up. We need allies to step up a lot harder than they are. We need brothers to step up. We need a lot of other people to take on some of the emotional labor that we're doing every day just to make shit cool for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have periods of creativity a process that looks one way when you're in love and another way when you're not? Yes. And that's interesting because I kind of, like I fell in love with the father of my first kids and we created together. You know, we made two kids together. Um, we made two albums together. We played in a band together. So I kind of thought love could intertwine with my creation process because it was. But... I realized I had kind of like geared all my music in a certain direction based off of this love, not based off of like my authentic self in some ways. 
Um, now, I feel way different. I feel like if I am using that part of myself to love someone or like be physical with someone intimately, it kind of has been almost like disrupting like static um, my process with creativity. And it's, it's great because then when it hurts, I got a hundred songs on deck. You know, like I can just go into like, oh my God, I want to write 800 sad songs. But if it feels kind of all right, then I can't really write. So then I feel all like some Basquiat shit or, you know, something crazy where it's like tragic, like an artist who can't create, but who's like having fantastic other experiences. Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure it out. But I, it's definitely like there is a correspondence. There is like a connection between that with me right now. But I can't tell if it's because of where I'm at in my life or mm. if it's a part of my process. How does self-love and care inform your songwriting? Um, taking time to write is a part of my self-care. Time. Just like making time and space to let myself create means I'm taking care of myself. So when I go a month without making music, mm -hmm. I know that I'm doing too much and I'm not checking in with the thing that makes me the happiest. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's like kind of crazy to look at sometimes, you know, but easy to do with work and all the things we got to do. What about the people around you, friends, lovers, community, or even strangers, right? You can look all over the world and be inspired by people. So people, 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 like, how do they inspire you to create? Um, God, people inspire me in so many ways. You know, like, our community is filled with so many amazing people itself. You know, just like, even the fact that I'm friends with people who are in Zulu Zulu, it's like each one of them individually inspire me. You know, and then I look at, like, Leslie who inspires me with the visuals, but also with her style, with her essence of who she is, with the way that she moves through the planet. Um, I'm really a people lover. I could find something about each one of you that I love like right away. Um, and that inspires me. I get inspired by feeling passion. So yeah, I have no lack of inspiration outside of myself ever <laughs> it's only if i get stuck inside of myself that i can't feel inspired what are those hardest times to allow yourself that space to be creative and i'm a single mom of two kids every time is that hard time <laughs> like mm -hmm. yeah. if i get a break it's a miracle and it's magical and then i take advantage of it normally like mm -hmm. but i haven't had like a vacation in years or a place to go do that so it's always I have to fight for it if I want to do it you know I'm blessed that photography is I work for myself so I do get to make art every day you know but it's definitely my hustle so it feels shitty when I can't make music you know it it hurts mm -hmm. a lot but I'm also like just trying to be patient with the process because I think that Oftentimes as artists, we're, we have these like false timelines and narratives where it's like things take time. And I think that maybe this is my time to do this work and then my album will come. <laughs> Y'all better be patient. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working at it. You lived in New York for five years. 
what's the beauty of growing as an artist in that big city and what growth have you experienced as a creator here in Minneapolis? Um, what's the difference? If there is. Yeah, New York was like jumping into an ant farm or something, you know, like everything is moving so fast. And for my personality, it was like lighting a matchstick. I just like grew so fast because like I didn't challenge or question any of the things I felt. I'm like everything I'm doing is like been done before out here, you know, and like people would see you and they'd see you, they'd look at you. Whereas here, people would like not look at you. They would like walk on the other side of the street or like, you know, just not interact in the ways they were in Brooklyn at that time. So I grew a lot um, by getting my music overseas. I experimented, you know, I traveled. Um, I got to work with people that I would dream to work with out there. But then coming back here, I realized that it's really not about chasing a dream. Sometimes community is right here. And I think my work now is way more prolific because I've actually have the space not chasing something to um, figure out what I want to say. And mm. I think that's important. You know, if we're talking about a weapon of choice, it's like I want to use my weapon accurately. And before I feel like, yes, I'm making cuts all over, but all over the place. And now I'm trying to like figure out how to use it with precision and really like use my my spirit and my work to um make some change so how do you sharpen those weapons here in this city um being humble know that one day you could be really up playing everywhere and one day people are waiting on your next album um not being jealous being happy for other people um making space to uplift other people not hoarding <laughs> I think like those are some of the hardest things for us to do in this in this city because I feel like everybody is trying to get up, mm. but like I'm kind of trying to take a step back to give space for other people right now. And then when I know what it is I want to do and how I'm going to do it well, then I'll come and help move things. You know, what's the power of artists nurturing artists, and and how do we do that selflessly? I think. Okay, I'm still learning about this because I feel like a lot of us are introverted, you know, like I have a hard time even creating music with other artists. I want to like do it on my own and then send it to them because it's scary. Um, but something it's again just being seen, like understanding that we're still struggling, even if you're like a big person out there who is playing for sold out shows or somebody just doing open mic. We all have the same insecurities. We all have the same fears and the same doubt. And like, if we can just like nurture that we're, we're both dope or like that there's a reason to keep going, that's super powerful. Um, for me lately, it's just been being honest and vulnerable. Like I'm hanging out with younger people that are playing more than me that really, really inspire me. And before I probably would just like chilled in the back and be like, man, they're fresh. But now I'm like, like Taylor Seaberg, I'm like, I'm obsessed with you. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I know that by me pushing some of my positivity and joy on the prolific work that they're doing, they're going to feel more power. And I think that that's the way we can nurture each other. It's a give and take. Um, I'm going to go back to food, sharing space and cooking. I do that with all my artist friends, you know, like find your own way but like just giving giving at any point in time is always going to give you back more because like 
you know, there's a whole gratitude, giving and nurturing thing that is in all of us that we've been forced to kind of like bottle up and get hard with to survive. And I think we have to break that, that down. Like I used to, I didn't even know I liked to cook because I had gotten so hardened by people taking from me. And I didn't want to do anything for anybody else. And then I got to a new place where I started to play around with it. And I realized it meant everything to me. It was like my biggest joy. And I still get bitter sometimes when <laughs> I invite people to come through and then they enjoy it and dip and leave a mess. And I'm like, man, why do I do this? But it's because it makes me happy and it makes them happy, you know? Yeah, I mean, struggling alone one thing but you feel like there's just so much beauty when folks are struggling together even if it's just for five hours over a meal and then chit chat you want to stick around for that chit chat right we need each other yeah. I mean I think that's something that we try to act like we don't because we have phones and stuff it's like we still need each other that's like that's just the bare necessity you know and like when people aren't connecting with each other is when we have suicides within our community and you know just a lot of activists were starting to drop like flies. And that's when I got more active in creating a nurturing space. Cause I knew mm -hmm. that's something I can do, you know, like mm -hmm. I can't always be on the front line cause I got to pick up my kids from school, but I can be the spot to go through after you're on the street all night and come get some tinctures and come eat some food. You know, I'm kind of just like trying to break down a, a new, a different way of doing things. And I'm not saying I'm the only one doing it, but I think that it's something that could be pretty revolutionary especially if the food is holistic organic and cooked in a way that's going to also be healing the cells in your body like i don't know i think there's little ways that we're not using all of our brains yet where we could be doing a little more and that intersection of food and community and in the revolutionary and radical way you speak of it are you having any grander visions yeah i mean once once that? all those people are together then they're talking about making change so then it's a safe space for us to start creating our own rules without having outsiders in. And then eventually, like, you know, that space grows. And I want to open that space into a restaurant eventually. And, you know, we make the rules of who comes in and who doesn't, but the food is always going to be dope and it's always going to heal you. And you're always going to get to connect with like-minded people that are going through stuff. Because mm -hmm. we all are. Everything goes back to food for me. If you haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I I walked into my house today and I just smelled like delicious soul food greens. Mm. And I'm like, no one in this apartment makes this. Why am I smelling this right now? It's like, what does that mean, you know? Mm. Like, I didn't cook shit. I'm like, I walked into my fucking place and it smelled like someone was cooking greens like all morning wow and then, and then it was gone like 30 seconds later the, the smell geez, man you had an ancestor come through or something what happened <laughs> i don't know and last time i smelled that i was over here yeah so i was like Whoa. shit i made some big greens but maybe that was it because i was coming here today it might have been it was crazy yeah i'd be doing stuff like that sending people smells <laughs> <laughs> Love it. oh boy that's interesting that that happened. Oh, yeah, it just disconnected for me. You just got a whiff of greens. I don't even want to talk about Trump. No. Neither do I. <laughs> I don't like that person's name. We don't even say that name in my house. The cuss words in my house are winter, snow, and Trump. And I think you guys have said all of three, so. 
grounded. <laughs> My kids don't say those words. They're like, don't say the W word. Mama hates it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's the most personal song in recent recollection that you've written? Personal? All of my songs are personal. I said the most. Like some of them are clearly like this is to the world, power, power, movement. But I think it's a song called Dark Siders. I don't think you have it because it's only been recorded live in the Palace Theater for the current. Okay. And it's talking about how I always dance alone, even in a crowded space. Nobody can see me on the level that I float. And it was. Honestly, about this time where I kind of learned, I can't believe I'm even going to say this, but I kind of learned what it felt like to be a side piece. And I'd always been the number one piece in most of my interactions slash relationships, but I kind of like was settling um, for something different because I do see power in different types of relationships. And I think that if there's a way you can be with somebody and still feel fulfilled by all the other bodies in your life, then that's dope. But it wasn't working that way for me. And so I remember one day I'm playing a show, singing a show on a packed stage and that one person's there and I felt like nobody was there and nobody saw me. And I thought, how vulnerable is this? This is crazy. And I sing that song still and like people don't even maybe listen and know what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about like kind of fading into like the background, but still being like in front of everybody. And normally I don't, I don't like to expose myself in a way where I like, I might be doing something shady. I normally want it to be like, you know, I'm trying to uplift or like, you know, there's like general pain, but that was like a really specific personal mm. side hole confession. and yeah Mm. that I had to realize that like I was there I kind of thought I was better than that I was a queen you know I wouldn't settle for no bullshit and um, then I'm like what does that even mean that means I have to be this strong person again and I can't just want love like everybody else Mm. you know I have to like be the example of how to love with respect and gratitude for yourself like no i don't know any more than anybody else knows you know so cool yeah what are you tired of hearing i'm tired of people telling me how dynamic and important my work is and that i should apply for a grant Mm. like why would i not apply for a grant you know like (sighs) Really? Are you telling me something that I've never thought of when I'm a broke artist? Like, obviously. Do you want to write it for me? Do you have a voice to go along with Do you want to actually just give me some money instead of asking me to do this crazy process that's going to make my hair fall out and I'm still going to get rejected? Like, do you have reparations? That's what I want to talk about. Direct reparations. And do you think there's a... what What do you think is a unique way of handling denial when it comes to asking for money to applying for grants as a black person as a woman as a black woman how i handled getting denied do you think there's do you think it's uh clearly a a different way of uh trauma to that type of denial of course like it it takes so much 
to like, at least in my body, it takes so much for me to not be overwhelmed by just looking at a grant to actually go through the steps of applying for it and figuring out how to explain my spirit on paper. But then to, to get denied after that, it's like pulling a rug out underneath you again, where you're just like, why do I even mess with this system? And that's why I lean towards like a whole radical new understanding, because I don't think the system is made for me. If I'm already doing the work and I've been doing it since I got out of high school, why do I have to explain what my work is going to do for community? And why do I have to explain why I am worth it? Like, you literally are seeing what I do. I would like somebody who works for an arts board to just send me 50K and let me keep doing what I'm doing. And I'm not going to rest until that's, if that's not a part of the conversation, I don't really want to talk about grants. Mm-hmm. You know, like that system isn't for us. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I could go off about that because I'm, I just got denied from a grant, you know, and like it's a tiny grant for parents who are artists to sustain. And then their answer was, I didn't get the grant because I didn't talk enough about how it's going to affect community. So I'm like, this grant was to help me, but I need to explain how I'm going to help community feel more from what they're feeling than they're feeling now that I'm struggling. Like, if if I could just see the person face to face that said that, like, I have some words because like, this is completely the opposite of what we're working towards right now in these crucial times and this crucial climate where we need this work to have these weird red tapes still around how art gets created with money. It's like eating feces. Mm. That's how I feel. Anything else you'd like to get off your chest? No, I mean, we're serious. Uh, We're serious. Is there anything else you'd like to get off your chest? No, I'm just really frustrated about that right now because like, I'm doing so much work and like I can't make ends meet unless I can write a Bush fellowship. And like I don't have the because I'm doing trauma work, I don't have the emotional capacity to write a grant right now. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to work through how to be a more stable and an intentional human. Like, can I just do that for a second? Because we've been coming off of slavery and decades of oppression. Like, when does the break come? When's the time come where we can like fall back and let others do the work and I haven't seen it coming I have heard about a couple of radical um you know types of payments for people that came but like the one time I asked for reparations in the end I still had to work for it and I thought it was like a really good accomplishment that I had like manifested some reparations in like four minutes by sending one email but then I still had to go dig through images and find old work that I had done to make it okay that they gave me the money. So like that, that's not reparations. Mm. So let's just get the language straight first and figure out if we have the same definition before we move forward with this radical change. Mm. That's how I feel. You wanna get me fired up, talk about some some grants. I mean, yeah, give us ten, 10 minutes on why grants because <laughs> they do. And meanwhile, we're submitting one tomorrow. Oh, good luck, good luck. Fuck. I know, I'm like my heart shocker that I'm like, man, fuck y'all with the grants. <laughs> this this uh, doula project, um, this prison doula project, mm. wanted a certain grant. I won't name the organization, but I won't shop there, I'll tell you that much. I won't buy my food there either. Mm. And I won't go to Uptown to get my food there. 
That's all I'm gonna say. I'm not gonna. But they, they, their response, it's it's about those those answers, right? Mm-hmm. They're in an email. They're impersonal, and this dual prison program. They wanted to like have like a, I don't know, like a breastfeeding transport of breast milk program. Some funding for that, and this store that sells food that hipsters go to and whatever. Mm-hmm. Their response was. We don't see breast milk as a food source. Whoa. And that's why we're not giving you this money. Kind of dystopian breast future. Milk is magic. <laughs> Who would say that? Oh, they said that. Oh my goodness. Is it an organic place? One of, one of those places, you know? Okay. One of those places. A, a billionaire may have bought them out six months ago. Mm. So, you know, I anyway. That's no, funny. actually, actually, it wasn't, it wasn't Whole Foods. <laughs> but it was a place in Uptown. Yeah, That's we know, we know, we know who, we know who it is. <laughs> yeah. For those people listening, what do you want to tell them? What do you want them to know about me, about the world? Yeah. Know that you are enough. That sounds like something a mom would say, but the sooner we can get there. I don't know. I think the sooner we can actually work together on doing something to change things. I think everybody is like running, looking for something outside of themselves, whether it's with like sex or, you know, all the things. And those things are great and necessary for the revolution as well. But yeah, just know that you're enough is what I have learned this month. And it's sticking with me and it's kind of keeping me on a path right now. How do you balance cynicism and hope? Hmm. You know, that's, that's, it's cute because that's kind of the life I live. I'm in between either being like really cynical, you know, and just not really believing stuff's going to work out. But then there's a side of myself that always knows in the end everything works out. So as much as I can try to feel upset and unoptimistic, my gut just knows that no matter what happens, it's going to work out, right? So I'm trying to cut that time off a little bit with the cynical side. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, cool, I can sit here and feel angry or feel like nothing's going to work out for a half a day and still get some stuff done, or I can do it all day and just watch Game of Thrones. You know, like, I can make a choice. It's like, so sometimes the way I balance it is just kind of checking in with myself. I'm like, today I might need a day where I just don't leave my bed and I just feel like the world doesn't hold space for me. I feel like the world doesn't deserve what I have in my heart. That's me probably three days of the week. And the other days I'm out there being active, you know, and not everybody has to know that, but people who know me well can kind of tell when I go in and out of those two worlds. Mm. And I think that sometimes it's kind of good to be a little bit cynical because then you're not just settling. Because, like, that's something we can't do now. And I feel like, honestly, that's something that has subconsciously been worked into us through media and everything. Is like, it's so much easier to settle because there's something else you could quickly latch on to. You know, all these quick pleasures. Hashtags. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, oh, it's so sad what happens, you know, in this part of the world when this disaster happened. But, you know, let's just move on to the next and it's like, nobody's even talking about Puerto Rico anymore. Mm. And people just, some people just got power. 
you know? Some people, like, they have to rebuild their whole... Everything has to be rebuilt. And I think we're just living in a time where nobody wants to, like, deal with anything. They just want to feel nothing. Well, they don't want to be cynical at all. No. Not, not for mm-hmm. half a day, not for three days out the week or three minutes. No. They're like, yo, we've already taken off our pink pussy hats from the march and we're moved on. You know, like, let's go back to our mom groups and settle back in again. You know, like, I like to feel a little fire under mm-hmm. it. So I know that there's still work to do or else, like, I could go numb. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are. Mm-hmm. And... Okay. That terrorist only killed six people. Talk to me when he killed at least 20. Exactly. Or like, you know, it wasn't in the Midwest, at least. You know, I'm like, come on, y'all. Like, but, but you can't let it overwhelm you. And I remember during, you know, I think it was in Ferguson, I stayed up like two days straight watching Unicorn Riot. Like, I didn't want to sleep. I wanted to see what was happening because I knew people out there and that was an unhealthy side of it where I was just like, I wasn't taking care of myself. Um, I was getting really cynical about everything, you know, wanting to burn stuff down. So I think, yeah, there's a middle ground. Yeah, there's there's middle ground, there's a lot of hope, and that's why we talk to artists. What art are you taking in that's helping you recharge? Oh, man. So I kind of figured out lately that like, I need a soundtrack with everything, like, Nobody is going to be over at my crib. Even this is awkward because we like don't have music on. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> but like, there's some people I play obsessively right now. Alice Smith. I've been playing her forever. I just love Alice Smith. But especially that song, I Put a Spell on You. She did a remix. If you've not heard it, please take a second and listen to it. It's beautiful. Moses Sumney, obviously. Oh, um, Damien Caesar's Freudian album got me through a bunch recently leon bridges um valerie june Mm -hmm. stuff like that like i really just love to hear black music right now because i think we're making our music has always been really important right but i think that people are getting a little more free with not even having to hide the message anymore. It's like even back on the plantation, we're singing like, we about to rise up, but it's in a way that they can't understand because, you know, we can't let them know. But now people are kind of like, dog, y'all did the most already. We're just saying it all. And that Mm -hmm. to me is so inspiring, like Mick Jenkins, you know, like just stuff like that. I just get like on fire where I'm like, yes, like let's, let's change something like, even if it's just changing it in the ways we write. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has to go with like a baton to the Capitol. It's like just writing from your truest self inspires me so much and almost too much to the point where I don't know where to start. Cause some of this work, I listen to like <laughs> Moses Sumney and I'm just like, well, check please. You know, there's Every nothing day. more I can do. Every day. There's nothing more I can do to say anything better than he's already said it. And Andrew, can I get my twenty dollars? I said, I bet I bet you Moses is on what you walk in here. <laughs> oh, did you say that? <laughs> it was too, right? Oh man. So yeah, that I can go off forever, but there's a lot of music that I love. But I will say locally, I've been really like newly inspired by a lot of the younger bodies coming up yeah and like i said before taylor seberg and then thomas bond and um bailey from 26 bats mm. 
kind of the ways that they are writing just so free, like the way I used to before I got ate up by the industry, mm-hmm. before I understood that I might not be able to eat 10 years later still, you know, like before I had kids, before I left for five years, like I was there. So mm-hmm. it's really inspiring to kind of try to reconnect with that energy and funnel it, you know, mm-hmm. and also give them some of my like grandmother's spirit energy. <laughs> Cool. cool. Sarah White, it's been a pleasure and an honor Thank for you. this time and this space and for your words. Thank, Thank you. you for listening. Thank you so much, Sarah White, for blessing our show. Uh, how you feeling about the season finale, Andrew? That was pretty good. Pretty, 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 pretty good. good. Yeah. It was. What's wrong? Season's over. I mean, now what? Now what? Now we go on to season two. Ah. Yeah, I guess. I guess this month off would be a good thing. You know what? You're right. I can't. I'm actually. Uh, I'm excited about what next year is going to bring, and it's going to bring another season of Weapon of Choice podcast. And we are. Uh, fuck. I'm. I'm looking at this list, man. We've got we got we've already got some damn good guests lined up. Shit, we damn near got half a season already lined up. Wow, look at I forgot we booked Latoya Ruby Frazier. Hey y'all, we gotta go to New York. We got about four interviews already scheduled in New York City. We've got Latoya Ruby Frazier. Man, we've got <sighs> Imani Gold out in New York. Oh man, we've got some people in Chicago. Carrie James Marshall. Dina Hagag, whoa, L.A., James Spooner, Corinne Loper-Fido, whoa, Kamazi Washington, I forgot we, I forgot we talked to their people, how the fuck did I forget that? Andrew, who else we got? Who else we got in, coming up in 2018? You know, something I've been saying since day one, Tommy, is whoever we want to get, we will get. It might take a while. True that. But we'll talk to them. You know, someone else on our list we we got to talk to a baby. Yeah, I know, man. Princess Nokia, I mean, her people, they've been in communication with us, but uh, I don't know. We still got to convince them, apparently. We're just these little guys out of Minneapolis. But uh, for you local folks, you know, we're going to get the Brother Ali's on the show. We're going to get POS on the show. And definitely going to have this, this brother, this crazy, talented brother, an insightful, intelligent, beautiful black man, Jordan Hamilton, can't wait to have him on the show but man we're dreaming it up y'all we're dreaming it up um everybody uh muja messiah he's definitely gonna come on the show hopefully maria Issa too um man i want to get the whole situation crew dj keezy blowtorch you know i want to get all them on the show too right out of here the twin cities we got some amazing folks some amazing talents and some amazing minds right here in town but man we're gonna go everywhere we're gonna go east coast west coast chicago more midwest we're gonna hit the south we gotta hit up atlanta and we've got some special shows some bonus episodes that'll be coming next year you're gonna have to stay tuned for that definitely but um we're we gonna dream big you said anyone we go after we're gonna get it might take a matter of time but hell if you're listening john legend david simon 
Uh, we about to go to Iceland and talk to Bjork. Best believe. Oh, man, not too many athletes really have that voice like a Colin Kaepernick or even a LeBron James. And uh, basketball world, there's some important voices that have that platform that um, are really starting to get in tune with their uh, with their uh, revolutionary uh, heritage. And uh, we look forward to talking to some, some of those athletes. Man, I want to talk to Peaches. I want to talk to Kevin Abstract. I want to talk to Aja Monet. I want to talk to Natalie Rise. We're going to get Amanda King out of Cleveland on the show. Hell, I want to talk to Phoebe Robinson, one of the dope queens. I want to talk to both dope queens. I think we should get Mickey Blanco on the show. Man, we should get shit, W. Kamal Bell on the show. Hell, um, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga's going to be on the show. Um, man. NECA, oof, NECA, if y'all don't know NECA, N-N-E-K-A, when you listen to her talk, I mean, my mind is blown when I listen to NECA talk, but we need her on the show for sure. I mean, who who else? Who else we got to get on the show? Roxanne Gay told us she's a little busy right now. J. Cole, he a little busy. Common's going to come through, but I really want to get Kara's one on the show. Who else you want to get on the show? We gotta get Sean Sherman on the show, man. Sean Sherman, look out! Yeah, I gotta pay him a visit this Saturday. You're gonna be out of town, but uh, I'll report back to you after I see him. You know, we also gotta get Dessa on the show. Yeah, she's got this new album coming out, and um, she's gonna have to do that press run. But uh, she knows, she knows when she's coming on our show. We gonna we gonna talk about some shit. That's for real. We need your help too, like. We need your help. Hit up weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com. Let us know who you think should be on the show, where a show like no other focuses on the intersection of art and activism. We got artists talking about their weapons of choice or their weapon of choice. Some of them come heavily equipped. You know, I'm excited as I'm as excited for season two as I am excited for the new Black Panther movie. And probably our season opener for season two comes out around the same time as Black Panther. So while y'all are excited for that, get excited for season two of Weapon of Choice podcast as well. Man, what else we want to do next year? Hell. You know, we're kicking a lot of ideas around for season two. We've got those great bonus episodes that we've already talked to some artists about and they seem really excited to contribute with. Uh, We definitely want to pull off a live show next year. We're not sure what that's going to look like, but we will keep everyone posted. And then just over coffee a couple days ago, we were throwing around that idea for that really special project um, that's going to be a little different than the normal show. We're thinking maybe a series, but... Yeah, a little bit, but uh, it stays true to the essence and concept of uh, what we want to present to the world. And uh, I love sitting in in, uh, any given coffee shop, sitting down with Andrew talking about the future of this podcast because we really believe in it. We really appreciate the people who believe in us, and uh, we're going to honor that. And uh, we know we can take this places with the help of everyone out there listening. So don't forget to keep telling your friends and sharing our posts on Facebook and shouting us out on social media. If you yourself have a platform, because we will show you love back, write to us, DM us, text us, email us, call us. You know, and we're here for you, and we hope the uh, we hope that you you keep listening. We do have some thank yous that we wanted to get to. Uh, 
without these people, this first season would have never happened. And in a big way, Renee Copeland has been there for us every single step. When we uh, recorded our pilot, she was actually what we were listening to in our headphones to kind of relax us and get us comfortable with talking. But Renee, thank you so much. Uh, her intro music carries this show. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much, Renee. And she's blessed us with a few more songs to round out some of our episodes that, uh, that you know, clearly her voice is powerful in so many ways. Two for One was a guest on the show. Rafa, he's blessed us with not only his interview, but some of his music, some of his songs, some of his beats. Sarah White's done the same. Our buddy Joe Nord has been been there for us. And, you know, uh, Andrew, and let's not let's not sleep. Andrew's a musician too. Yes, my co-host Andrew. The boy has talent. All right, the man has gifts that go beyond filmmaking, beyond podcasting, and so I love spending time with this this brother of mine. And uh, definitely, we got to thank the listeners in several countries, over two dozen countries who are listening. Boy, do we appreciate that. Um, you know, and uh, we'll leave you with what we always leave you with. We want to we wanna definitely hear from you, and we're sincere about that. We always want to hear from you. We're always wondering, for those artists out there, what is your weapon of choice? And for everyone else listening, what art is helping you recharge? Which What art is helping you keep going? Um, and we, we got something a little different for our season closer. We want to know, who do you want us to interview? You can send your answers to those questions to weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com. That's weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will see you in 2018 with season two of Weapon of Choice. This is just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much more to come. Thank you so much. That's right. Peace and love. We out. Yeah.